This is Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, it remains forever a very important prospect for us as we open up this word here. Remember that God moves in the midst of humanity and reveals his intentions toward us, which in turn reveals how we should treat one another. Three points to get us there. Communication from righteous anger and merciful plea. All right, communication. Constancy from this time forth and forevermore. Constancy. And number three, purposes. That is God's judgment, mercy, and how the gospel collides those two things. First, then, communication. Verses one, two, and three. Uh, Y'all know the sad joke about our society's communication in today's time, right? And really, you might say the South, but I think it's bigger than the South, right? It's a sad joke. Uh, Here's how it goes. Are, Are you angry, struggling, or depressed? Well, no one will ever know, so nobody cares because everyone's always smiling. Not funny? It's not a great punchline, is it? But it is great commentary for our day and age. And this is an example of unclear and imperfect communication with one another. Whether to avoid awkwardness, be polite, or something else, human-to-human interaction is never as deeply genuine as we would desire. It ends most often in, I wish you would have told me, or I wish I would have known more than we might like to think. Because of the nature of such exchanges, when you think about it, think about it in your own families, at work, school, for those in school, church, university, wherever you are. When you think about this communication exchange and our always smiling call from society, eventually it breaks down into complication and frustration at the least, into mass destruction at the most, right? Surely y'all know. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've experienced it one too many times, right? 
This is what makes the transition in verses 2 to 3 so unexpected from, from human experience to an experience with God because it's something very different. There is deep and perfect communication from God of unmet expectations and strong desire from God to his people. It's perfect. And we see it as as you see both this righteous anger and this righteous plea. God's perfect communication. Baseline, this reality, this transition that we see in God's communication to us, it, it provides a need for further research, relief, and hope. First, if you want to think about that further research part, when you hear something like, I am very angry, please return to me. You're not expecting that next part, right? When you hear, I am very angry, you're thinking something like, you know, and, and you think it's something else, you know, bang, right? That's what you're thinking is going to come next. Or, or I'm very angry. Walk away. It's over, right? I'm very angry. And so I'm going to start yelling even more. But further research is needed. Because God doesn't just say I'm very angry. He follows that up with something. Return to me. This should stop us in our tracks for a moment. And really cause us to think about who God really is. Why would God be angry with the fathers of my people? How do I return to him if he's asking me to? And what does returning to him even mean? Could you answer any of those? Isaac said, yeah. (laughs) That's my son. (laughs) Number two, not only are we... needing to be in this kind of further research mode where God stops us in our tracks by communication, Uh, we also begin to see in in this deeply felt and and perfect communicative moment that, that we have some relief, some cosmic spiritual relief. Because in spite of anger from the Lord, or maybe in spite of our actions that have caused anger from a perfect being, right, in spite of that, apparently, there is opportunity for reconciliation, for right relationship. In other words, it's not over. It's not over. It is one of the great tragedies of the church that God's people are more wrathful than God himself. Let me say it again. It is one of the greatest tragedies of the modern day church that God's people are more wrathful than God himself. Why? Because the people of today's church are just like the people of the world and they provide no chance for true communication, for true reconciliation. They only provide condemnation. For those in that which is against their own thoughts and desires. 
If it ain't my thing, it's not right. And it's over. Goodbye. More wrathful than God. Think about it. It is a terrible tragedy. One that we must not fall into. Third, as we're thinking about this reality of communication, hope is borne out from this as well. Because as we are stopped in our tracks, thinking, man, God is talking to us, it seems like there's a chance at reconciliation. It lights a little flame, right? In a hopeless world, a world that seems like it's trying to snuff and punch out any flame of hope that might emerge from anybody, anywhere, at any time, be it a sickness where we think, man, the world's out to get us, right? Or a political movement, or the discord that, that falls to the wayside, the anger and the malice and the wrath, the sexual immorality, taking advantage of, from every single realm you think about, politics, religion, anywhere, all of these people taking advantage of others. It seems like we're falling apart at the seams, and yet, in this moment of perfect communication, there's a flame that sparks, and it is hope, because God's still talking. God's still talking. Continuing on, then, God moves in the midst of humanity and reveals his intention toward us in his constancy of communication. Verses 4, 5, and 6. As God communicates deep and serious content to his people, he asks two parallel questions. Where are your fathers and where are the prophets? At first glance, it's kind of a rhetorical question, right? Uh, you might think as you read it, well, they're long gone. I get it, Lord. You're you know, they're gone. Now it's our chance, right? That's what you mean. I get it. At second glance, with further research, certain realities begin to set in. In other words, whether you were disobedient, the fathers, or obedient, the prophets, both are gone. You know, I think about it maybe like a story uh, from my grandmother. I called her Gee Mama. She's from North Georgia. She told me this story, a great, great scandal at the church that she used to attend as a young, young child. She said that one mother told her drunkard son that if he was not in church the next day that he would lose out on all or any support from the whole family. And so that drunkard man said, I'll be there. And so he went out all night, gallivanting around, drinking, carousing, doing the whole thing. And when it came around church time, that man kicked down the front doors, still on his horse, and walked all the way down and climbed out and sat drunk as drunk could be. He said, I made it. I made it. Of course, others, the church did not see so kindly to such things, perhaps didn't think he had arrived in the way he should have, right? Uh, there, there were those in the midst who, you could say quite obviously, were more righteous 
So one man's in the church, obviously needing a little bit of help. There are others in the church who you might call prophets, those who are righteous. All of them, righteous and unrighteous, they're gone right now. All your good deeds, they cannot save you. But the Lord goes on. What's not gone, he asks. What's not gone? It was the same thing that wasn't gone in that little church in Rome, Georgia. The word of God. The word of God is not gone. I say it after, almost after every reading of God's word from this pulpit. That passage from Isaiah. Grass withers, flowers fade. There's other parts to it too. Man, he perishes. The word does not. The word remains. Verse 6 of our text. But at least the first part. But my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? This is a reminder of God's constancy, of his true word that goes forth. But it's not just constancy of word, of communication. It's constancy of content, of, of exactly what the Lord is communicating. Verse 6 is clearly echoing the language of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. I know that all of you have committed this to memory, but just in case, I'll read it for you. This comes in a passage where uh, as, as the people of God are, are close, boom, they can see the promised land. They've lived their lives in the wilderness. They've made it all the way through. Only Moses has to die before they go into the promised land. And in that moment, they are reminded of blessings for obedience and of curses for disobedience. One of those curses being that the land would be taken away, that they would be moved out of that land, that they would go into exile. Exactly what happened. Because there is constancy and content from the Lord to his people. And so this is chapter 28, verse 15 of Deuteronomy. Remember that overtake word from verse 6. But if you will not obey the voice of your Lord, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you, just as they overtook your fathers. God clearly communicated his expectations to his people when they came to the promised land so many years ago. He laid out not only the blessings for obedience, but the curses for disobedience with a direct promise that his word would overtake any who went against him. And it's at this very moment that we must include our third point and the last part of verse 6. Because God moves in the midst of humanity and he reveals his intentions toward us, which include his very purposes. Verses 6, and that's it. Exactly how, I ask, has the Lord purposed to deal with the ways and deeds of his people? Do you see that in the last part of verse 6? As the Lord of hosts purpose to deal with us for our ways and deeds. How? How? How does he do it? 
when we combine what we have heard from God so far. He's angry but pleading for his people to return. His word has remained constant. So we might ask again, in the full shadow of Easter Sunday to come, how has the Lord purposed to deal with the ways and deeds of his people? Of course, the answer is blatantly straightforward on this side of the cross. And it was more than sufficiently clear in the time of Zechariah. God has purpose to deal with the ways and deeds of his people in both absolute justice and absolute mercy. This is the very good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, which has been constantly communicated from God to man from the very beginning. When the sin happened in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were hiding and God brought them out, what did he do? Yeah, he kicked them out. There was repercussion. Death entered the world. But he gave them clothes. And more importantly than the clothes that covered their shame and their guilt, he gave them a promise. Do you remember? Yeah, you might get bit on the foot, but boom! I'm going to send somebody to crush the head of the serpent. I'm going to curse the serpent. And I'm going to start to promise this to you over and over again in the scriptures. Abraham, come on. Noah, come on. David, come on. Come on. I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. That way you know I'll never send a flood like this again. I will save you. And I will keep you. David, you will never lack a person on the throne. You ever wonder why we sit on the right-hand side like a steward? A steward of the word. Traditionally, the pastor sits on the right-hand side of the word of God. For I am a steward to the King, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh himself, who speaks to us by his word through his spirit. I am a steward. He is the king. Enthroned forever. I will promise you the commands that will give you long life and happiness. And when you do not obey them, I will give you a prophet from your midst that will rise up and tell you what must be done. I will send the prince of peace. I will send the suffering servant. I will send the one who will go silently to the cross like a sheep led to slaughter. He's going to be on a donkey, humiliated. But he's coming, and he's going to save you. Time and time again, we see the reality and promise and constancy and communication of God leading up to the moment that we are about to specifically and particularly remember on Easter Sunday that Jesus lives this perfect life, and he dies this death for his people. He takes away the sins of the world and he gives righteousness to those that would believe that we might stand in the very presence of God and not be wiped away. In fact, God might look upon us and say, welcome son, welcome daughter, I've been expecting you. The good news that changes hearts and changes lives has changed your life. If you are one who believes, 
God moves in the midst of humanity. He reveals his intentions toward us, which in turn reveals how we should treat one another. Here are three quick applications. They really build on what's really one application. The three points, you'll get it, right? Three points, these will help. If God communicates, maybe we should give it a shot. That's the application. If God communicates, let's give it a shot. Let's communicate. This week, let's throw a wrench into the old cultural grin and bear it time that we live in. If you're struggling, why don't you try to tell somebody who can care for you? If that's a medical professional, do it. If it's a pastor, do it. If it's a counselor, do it. If it's your family member, spouse, somebody else, do it. Let the spirit work and communicate a need that you have. If you're struggling, tell somebody. If you're angry, don't just tell someone. Tell the someone with whom you're angry. Give communication a shot. If God embodies it from the very beginning, it just might be worth our time. But we might need to remember a couple things. While communicating, don't forget your need for humility because you, like me, are not God. Uh, you're not perfect. God holds a constancy in his word that reveals how we might be saved and live lives in righteousness. Communicate with the intention of righteous living towards God, worship of him. Anything less will drop you into the muck and mire of sin. Don't communicate wrongly, in other words. Third, if you're struggling to find that humility I just mentioned, or if you think you don't need it, pride, remind yourself of how God purposed to deal with your ways and deeds. Remind yourself, in other words, of the gospel. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ who recognizes the fullness of the gospel, this is a declarative sentence. In other words, fact. You will be humble. Christians are humble. Period. Once you've seen, truly seen, what you have done and what God still did for you, humility, even in the face of adversity, is all that is left for the Christian. That was all that was left for God's people in that time. This was a homecoming. Man, it was a heart check for the people of God as they were entering into a new era, a new phase, a new stage of God's redemptive history. Things would never be the same. And that was okay because God was moving a linear, a historical redemption narrative straight towards the cross on Calvary. But man, the heart check had to come and come and come. And it came through God's word. That's why I prayed earlier that we must be a people of the word. That the spirit would move in our midst. Because that is how these things happen. We must be ones who cry out for such things. Who resonate with a passage like this. Homecoming and heart checks. 
we're buckling up our seatbelt. If you know about Zechariah, we're about to take off. <laughs> uh, we'll have a little bit of a break for Easter. But there is something for us here. But it is cosmic in nature. It is God himself. May we see him and may we grow as a family of God here at Centennial. That is my prayer. And I know that it is your prayer as well. Let us do it together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you show us that you are, that you are moving in our midst and, and that that reveals how we might move. Thank you for your communication and, and the content of your communication, Lord, and that it is always and will remain the same for you are perfect and your word is truth. So God, now as we lift praises to your name, as, as we sing songs to you, God, raise us in spirit into the heavenly place. Draw us away from this world and its sins and allow us to be those who are marked as followers of God. And as we do so, may we be able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now, give us opportunity and give us desire and do it in, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.